Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is Talk Radio. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. It is, of course, the home of common sense. Once more, I have to tell you, I'm afraid uh, there's not much of it about at the moment. The sun is shining, ladies and gentlemen. It's going to be another scorcher, but that's about as good as the news gets, I'm afraid, because we are now, very firmly, I'm sorry to tell you, in the grip of socialism. And what's worse is that it's being administered by a Tory government with an 80-seat majority. That's right. We now have the highest taxes that Britain has ever seen since the Second World War. Let's just take a minute to understand that and let it resonate. That means that Boris Johnson is taxing us more than Jim Callaghan taxed us, taxing us more than Harold Wilson taxed us, taxing us more than Tony Blair taxed us, and taxing us even more than Gordon Brown. All, of course, stalwarts of left-wing economics and leaders of the Labour Party. Never mind that the Prime Minister and his Cabinet henchmen Rishi Sunak and Sajid Javid broke two of their manifesto promises yesterday. Never mind that they all blame the pandemic and coronavirus for changing the entire financial landscape of the country. And never mind what they say about fixing the problems in social care, because we know what's really going on. And here it is. It's simply a tax grab designed to throw more money at the already bloated NHS, an organisation that could not be more if inefficient if it tried. We know that social care won't be fixed this way. We know that people will still be forced to sell their homes to pay for the private care that costs so much money. And we also know that £10 billion a year isn't going to make a blind bit of difference to hospital waiting lists and the inefficiencies of our health system. Every single day on this show, we hear from people who can't get access to a doctor, who can't get an operation, who have found themselves to become incredibly sick and ill simply because they could not get the treatment that they should have got when they should have got it. All in all, it was a grim day for Conservatism yesterday, an even grimmer day for Boris Johnson, and worst of all, an absolute disaster for the rest of us. 0344 499 1000. First up this morning, we're joined by Dr Tony Hinton, a retired surgeon, with his take on this latest attempt to fix the broken NHS. Some newspapers this morning are hailing this as some kind of great victory for campaigning groups, some kind of victory for people who will be able to now rest easy, knowing that they won't be ripped off when they go to a care home, that they will be looked after properly by the NHS, and that somehow, with a snip of his fingers, um, or even a snap of his fingers, Boris Johnson's fixed the world. Are these people in some kind of mass delusional coma? 
Unbelievable, right? Uh, coming up also, we'll be talking to the Taxpayers Alliance, uh, who are going to tell us precisely how the government is going to spend our money. And I can tell you, it won't be pretty. 0344 499 1000. Also, coming up later on this hour, we're joined by White House correspondent Ksenia Pavlovich Makatir with an update on President Joe Biden, his latest ratings, and his newest pronouncement about the climate emergency in the wake of the Afghanistan disaster. Plus, Tonya Buxton's here with her take on what's going on. The vaccine passports U turn. Sanjay Javid said to Julia this morning that there will be vaccine passports for nightclubs. The vaccination row over our children rages on and the continuing use, of course, of fear and propaganda to get us all to comply. 0344 499 1000. Coming up, Simon Calder is here as well with some ideas for where you can head off to. And it's the first Prime Minister's questions of the new parliamentary session. So we're joined by Peter Cardwell, former special advisor, to run the scoreboard over Keir versus Boris. Oh, and apparently there's another storm coming. So forget about the nice weather. It's going to be raining tomorrow, apparently. 0344 499 1000. You listen to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course... Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, if you picked up the Daily Mail this morning, you might be quite surprised to think um, that historic plans unveiled by Boris Johnson to reform social care last night are brilliant. Now, it might have something to do with the fact that he apparently thanked the Daily Mail for pushing the crisis to the top of the agenda. (laughs) Uh, But actually, the bad news is this. The tax burden is the highest in history. His help for families won't start for two years. Apparently, let's talk uh, to Dr. Tony Hinton, retired surgeon uh, with over 30 years experience of working in the NHS. Dr. Tony, very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. How are you? I'm all right, but I'm afraid I'm not really convinced by any of this. To this, to me, is simply a land grab. It's a tax grab. It's an attack on uh, uh, on people's wealth and their ability to, to, to keep as much of the money that they make as possible. Um, and I don't see that it's going to make a blind bit of difference to either social care or the NHS. I'm not convinced either. It takes us back to the funding levels of around about 10 years ago. Mm. If we just look, they're talking about maybe about £10 billion. And it's not even going into social care initially. It's going into the NHS to help to clear the backlog. But putting the money in without any plan of how to spend it to clear the backlog. Vast amounts of this money will be wasted. And once it's, once it's gone into the NHS for a year, trying to get that money back again to put into social care will be virtually impossible. If we look at how much the government has spent over the last 18 months on lockdowns, which have harmed many people, getting on for maybe £500 billion, if they'd have just spent 10% of that on protecting those most at risk, including the people in care homes, and if they'd have spent some of it on preparing the NHS for the winter crisis that happens every single year, certainly in the last 20 years that I was in the NHS was a winter crisis, it's nothing new, Mm. and we wouldn't be in the position that we're in today. No, I think you're absolutely right. And I mean, of course, once you start investigating and peering through um, the sort of the detail of always these kinds of announcements, you start to work out, actually, it doesn't make that much difference anyway. So what they're proposing is not an end to people having to sell off their homes because they will have to do that anyway. Um, It's also, there's no real fine print about how exactly £10 billion a year uh, is going to somehow reduce the waiting lists or the waiting times in the NHS. I don't understand where that money's going to go and how it's going to be in any way effective. 
Well, one of the upcoming problems for both care homes and the NHS is that they've already made vaccinations of staff compulsory for care homes. Mm. And it's um, assumed that that may lead to a minimum of 40,000 staff leaving. I think Unison have said it could be 70,000 staff leaving out of 700,000. So there may be 10% further staff reduction in care homes. If that's the case, it doesn't really matter how much money you put into it if you haven't got the staff to run it. And they're talking now about bringing in the same compulsory vaccinations for NHS staff, Mm. even though all the government scientists and ministers tell us that the vaccine doesn't stop you catching COVID or passing it on. It just stops you personally, hopefully ending up in hospital, severely ill, or dying from it, which is obviously fantastic. But it has no relevance to whether staff are vaccinated or not, because even if they're vaccinated, they can still pass it on. The vaccine passports are not medical at all. They're obviously for some other reason. Well, that's the problem, isn't it? Because we've heard Sajid Javid today confirming uh, on Julie Hartley Brewer's show that there will be vaccine passports brought in um, in uh, the next month or so. But for nightclubs only, apparently, didn't go any further than that. But that's kind of the thin end of the wedge. And and we know that they're now using this vaccination process as a kind of, um, you know, let's just get everybody vaccinated rather than let's get everybody vaccinated because it's better for them, you know? I mean, there are certain groups that I think obviously benefit from vaccination. The very elderly, those people with multiple comorbidities. Mm. Um, You could argue that, yes, it is sensible to try and persuade medical staff to have the vaccination. But no vaccination should ever be compulsory. It has to be a personal choice. And the problem is once you start making these things compulsory, people start thinking, well, why are they having to make them compulsory? If they work well and if they're to people's advantage, people would want to take them. And it's persuasion is what needs to be used. And, of course, they say now, yes, well, the vaccine passports will just be brought in for nightclubs. And actually, just a few weeks ago, I thought, no, they're not going to do this. It's, they're just trying to blackmail young people into getting the last few vaccinations. Yeah, that's what I thought as well. But actually, I don't think that's the case. I think they're using vaccination to push the vaccine passport rather than the other way around. Mm. The, I think the goal is the vaccine passport. And it won't finish at nightclubs. It will be pubs. It will be restaurants. It will be each flight you book to go on holiday. Mm. It'll be maybe how many miles you drive in your car. Have you got a diesel car? Have you got an electric car? All these things will extend and be incorporated into that so-called vaccine passport. It's not a vaccine passport. It's like a social credit system. It's a freedom paid. pass, isn't it? It's basically what they're talking about, that you'll only be able to or do lack certain, of, certain lack things. Of free, lack of freedom yeah, pass. And I find it extraordinary that people are quite willing to go along with it. 
I mean, I can tell from, from what you're saying, Dr. Tony, that you're as aghast about this idea as I am. Because, one, as you say, it makes no difference whatsoever to anybody's health. It really uh, couldn't, you know, there's all sorts of things that you could catch if you go to a nightclub. You know, you can't vaccinate against everything, can you? And, Absolutely. You know, either you have a life which involves a certain amount of risk or you don't. Um, and if they want to just shut down nightclubs, well, I wish, they, wish they'd just say so. Yeah, I, I think nightclubs are absolutely the thin end of the wedge. Yeah, if I, I'm a bit too old to go to a nightclub now. But if I did go to a nightclub, I wouldn't be worried about catching COVID. No. There'd be lots of other things I might be worried about catching. Right. But COVID wouldn't be one of them, that's for sure. <laughs> well, exactly right. Um, you might run into Michael Gove as well, which is slightly disturbing. Uh, we won't go there. <laughs> we certainly won't. But I mean, just going back to the NHS for a moment, I'm just seeing a story today about new job adverts on the integrated care systems recruitment page. Right now, this is yep. the truth about what the NHS has become. They are now hiring 42 new chief executives to manage integrated care boards across the country. I don't even know what one of those is. Right. Um, no. Salary averaging £223,261. Seven of those 42 jobs will pay up to £270 thousand pounds now i'm sorry that is not uh, what i would call integrated healthcare. that is a get rich quick scheme uh, for cronies of people who are already working in the nhs it just makes you wonder how on earth the nhs has struggled on all these years without those particular posts being in place mm. um, the problem is during my time in the nhs there has been an increase in frontline staff a modest increase in frontline staff, but there has been a massive increase in management. And I suspect at the moment, whereas all the frontline staff, of course, are working in the hospital, in their surgeries, a lot of the management will be, in inverted commas, working from home um, on large salaries. And uh, I think you could go through lots of hospitals and get rid of half the management. Yeah. And actually, the only thing you'd notice is for the doctors and nurses, be a lot easier to get on with their job. Yes, I'm sure it would be, because all the people that I ever talked to at the front end and the sharp end of, of clinical care, whether they be nurses or doctors, are always complaining, like most people do, about the management, because the management yep. never really understands what it is that they do. They work out rotors that don't actually tally with the way that people want to work. Um, yep. And it, they, they, they basically are uh, people making the business more inefficient. Yes, Absolutely right. Mm. Yeah, and that's been going on for years. Um, I think the whole system lead needs a root and branch rethink. Yes. We need to look at how they do things differently in other countries. If we look, for instance, at Germany over the past 18 months, Germany did not tell everyone to stay at home and not seek medical care. So consequently... We have this absolute crisis in this country now in cancer care that is going to continue for the next five or so years with patients presenting late with cancer and a lot of them being untreatable at that stage. Yeah. Or a lot of them at least are going to die where they wouldn't have done. We don't have that in Germany because all of their care for patients with strokes, heart attacks, cancer carried on just exactly as it did pre-COVID. Yeah. They didn't have to shut down the rest of their health service because they have more beds, they have more ITU provision. And the difference is, is that in Germany, it isn't the state that owns and runs and monopolizes the healthcare system. Mm. 
they pay for a lot of it. That's a different thing. Yes. But just because you have to have it free at the point of use doesn't mean the government have to control it all. No, exactly. And one of the reasons their test and trace system worked a lot better in the early days than ours did was because a lot of the labs were actually privately run labs. They weren't Absolutely. run by the NHS. And so they were able to do things rather quicker, uh, a little bit more flexibly uh, and, and suit, them, suit the system to what it was that they wanted the system to be rather than the other way around. But Dr. Tony, stay with us, if you will. We're talking to Tony Hinton, retired surgeon, uh, about the NHS, about social care, about the fact that this government has basically just made a massive grab into your bag, into your wallet to take a load of money out of it, which they say is going to fix the NHS. They say is going to fix the waiting times that you've had to go through. And they say is going to fix the social care system. Well, I'm afraid I don't buy it. I'm not buying it. And I refuse to believe that this will make any difference whatsoever. If you think different, you can tell me. You tell me exactly how this is going to change anything in the NHS, which is broken beyond measure uh, and which is not fit for purpose, quite frankly. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. We're talking to Dr. Tony Hinton, who's a retired surgeon and knows a thing or two about the NHS. How does it compare, Tony, uh, now to what it was like, say, for example, 20 years ago when you were working uh, as a surgeon in the, in the NHS? What was, what's different now that, well, would, that was I different? Would say even 20 years ago, pretty much every winter, there was a winter crisis. And some of that is because lots of elderly patients catch respiratory diseases then and come into hospital. Some of it is the difficulty in getting patients out of hospital, um, so-called bed blocking. And part of that is because of the lack of funding for social care. Because if you can't move a patient out of hospital, they're not well enough to go to their own home yet, at least into social care for maybe a week or two weeks for them to recuperate enough to go home, that bed cannot be used for other patients. But the difference is, I would say, the last five years when I was in the NHS, the winter crisis had become pretty much an all-year-round crisis. And it was very often that you would arrive at the hospital in the morning with maybe five or six patients on your operating list. Mm. But you'd only got three beds and you had to choose which two patients having worked themselves up and had all that anxiety and coming to the hospital expecting their operation were going to be sent home on the day Mm. and didn't know when they were going to be called in again. So it changed from being just during the winter months to all year round. And in fact, the Royal College of Surgeons has been calling for years now for setting up more independent surgical units where most of it would be done on what's called a day case basis. The patient comes in the morning, has their operation and they're off home by eight o'clock in the evening. You don't have overnight beds. So you don't have your beds filled up by medical patients during the night Mm. and find you can't get your patients in the next day. They're separate standing units. And there's, there's a few of those in the country, but there is nowhere near enough. There's, there's been no proper planning, lots of money put into the health service, but it's always just a matter, I think, of just throwing money in and then waiting to see what it's spent on instead of deciding what needs to be done, deciding how much that costs and funding those specific projects. Yeah. It's all sort of random. 
Yeah, well, that's it, because, I mean, presumably if they wanted to reduce um, the waiting lists, if they wanted to operate on more people, they'd have to get more people in uh, quicker and out quicker into the hospitals. Now, the only way they can do that, in my view, would be to have more uh, capacity, i.e. more beds, more doctors, more nurses. You know, is that where the money's going to go? Because that's going to take a long time to feed through. No, a lot, a lot of the money will go on extra management initiatives. Oh, yeah. And the, 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 this money that's gone in recently, it's it's said to be the largest tax burden now for 70 years. Yes, yeah, it's the war. And I think the, the government is being very disingenuous, saying this is just one and a, one and a quarter percent on people's national insurance. Because actually it's not. It's also one and a quarter percent on employers' national insurance as well. Well, that comes out of the money that employers have to pay their workforce. So, in fact, there is two and a half percent being taken out, not one and a quarter. And the thing is that there's never a plan to invest it properly. And really, this money would be much better put into incentives for people to work in care homes to pay staff more Mm. because if we can get more capacity in care homes we can get more people out of hospital more quickly and you'll be able to operate on more patients Mm. and also this cap that they're proposing for the uh, amount of money that you'll have to pay for a care home i don't understand how that's going to work either because as long as it's a private business and as long as it's a private enterprise the care home can charge whatever it likes. Well, it's it's hardly a cap anyway, really. It's something like £86,000 that you have to spend before, um, you know, that, that that is all you'll have to spend. But that only includes care. It doesn't include your accommodation or your food while you're in the care home, which is a large proportion of the total. So still, people are going to have to spend an enormous more amount more than £86,000 before they get to the cap because the cap doesn't include everything. Mm. It just includes probably less than half of what the actual costs are. Yeah. So the real cap is more like £190,000 you've got to spend. Yes. And so what would be your initial kind of solution, uh, Tony, to this care home problem? I mean, if there was an amount of money available and it could actually be used properly i know you've said uh, obviously pay people a bit more money would you build more care homes maybe take some more uh, of the private sector out and put it into the public sector i, d- I don't think particularly matters whether it's private sector or public sector it's important that the private sector homes and the public sector homes are properly inspected and regulated and the same regulations should obviously apply to both um But there are lots and lots of rules and regulations that have come in over the years that have meant actually lots of care homes have closed um, because maybe they didn't have exactly the right width of door for a wheelchair. Um, all, All sorts of rules and regulations that perhaps would be sensible to apply to new homes but not necessary to apply to existing homes if they've been working perfectly well onto their existing arrangements. Um, So part of it is definitely capacity. And then there is really, how do you pay for it? And there are other suggestions where 
There could be um, insurance type schemes that you could take out a policy perhaps against the value of your house. So at least you know what is the maximum amount you will have to pay. Um, there are other ways than everything being controlled by the government. Um, the government doesn't do everything as best as it can do. Well, I'm afraid I think they're uh, very good at illustrating that, um, sadly. And we are where we are, I suppose. But it just seems that uh, people will start to see through this plan when nothing changes. You know, when we talk to you this time next year, Tony, and it turns out that there's still 10 million people waiting to get an operation. There's still people who can't get in to see a GP. There's still people losing their homes in order to pay for their social care. We'll all go, so what do we pay all that money for? What a surprise. Dr. Tony Hinton, retired surgeon, thank you very much indeed for your help. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, I'm delighted to say uh, that we're welcoming for the first time into the studio uh, somebody that we've spoken to um, not before on the radio, but that we've, we've exchanged a few thoughts about Joe Biden. You're a White House correspondent. You're based in Washington, D.C. Uh, it's Ksenia Pavlovich Makatea. I think I've said that right, have yeah, I? Yeah, you said it perfectly. Very Thank you good. so much for having me. I'm very excited to be yeah, here. Yeah, it's great to see you. Uh, tell us a bit about you and your job in, uh, in the White House, because you operate as a sort of freelance, right? Uh, I have my own media company. It's yeah. called Pavlovic Today, and I'm independent White House correspondent. I started covering the White House in 2016 right. by the end of the Obama's administration. Right. I stayed throughout the whole four years of Trump, and now I'm covering Joe Biden uh, as an independent White House correspondent. I have a hard pass, and I'm there almost every day. Now. Right, mm -hmm. and it's an exciting place. I mean, I've only been in the White House once, actually inside the press room, but I was there a very long time ago when Ronald Reagan was president. So I don't want to go mm. far, so far back. Um, but what's the difference? now in terms of the way that it's run because under Donald Trump it was obviously very dynamic there was you know you never knew what was going to happen next the Biden administration seems a little bit more kind of um, miserable if you like I mean, they like to control the optics. Yeah. I think if you look at the leaked uh, conversation uh, between Biden and the former president of Afghanistan, yeah. uh, President Ghani, you could understand how Biden operates. Yeah. He told him, like, you need to project for the optics, uh, the image of strength, yeah. even if it's not uh, so. And I think that's how whole mindset of the Biden comms team um, is set up to, you know, look good for the cameras. But in reality, they like to control a lot, you know, right. who gets called, what questions you're going to ask right. and things like that. At the same time, they're super polite. They're very nice. So I cannot tell you anything bad about them, right. you know, because they treat us so well. Right. It's sort of like a pleasant will mm. once you enter the White House, but it's very kind of like controlled environment. Mm. And if you remember the first press conference he, he was holding uh, in the East Room, no one even um, raised their hand, right. which was very odd, you know, right. kind of like orderly kind of like yes. <laughs> White House press corps. And I was asking myself, am I in the in the same place? Am I in the same right. room? Are those the same colleagues? I, I worked throughout every day for the last four years of Trump, right. which is like... Um, and so is the media different then? Do they behave differently to Biden as they as they did towards Donald Trump? Because absolutely. a lot of them are very hostile to Trump, aren't they? It, absolutely, you know, but uh, Trump was also asking for it a lot. You know, he was all the time asking for this kind of like... He um, quite liked it, didn't he? He did. Yeah. And he he was rude many times, as you could see, you know, right. so he was also setting up this atmosphere, you know, that you really want to be aggressive with him. But with Biden, it's very hard. You right. know, it's almost like he's bringing you the candies and the 
first lady <laughs> getting out of you know, the White House, you know, bringing chocolate right. for the press. So, I mean, the press definitely, you know, keeps Biden less accountable than it was the case yes. with Trump. I'm and sure that's it's just true. Uh, upsetting for me. A uh, um, particularly I'm independent yeah. so I think my on my own terms so just mm. this idea that I need to kind of like fit in and right. kind of like amplify his talking points I don't want to do that no of course not because you want to be able to be critical and and watching him over the past month or so during the whole debacle of Afghanistan and, and the disaster that it became um, I mean he clearly has convinced himself that it was a, a, a success he, he gave that bizarre <laughs> press conference where he talked about the incredible airlift and, and it's like well hang on the only reason there was an airlift in the first place was because you screwed it up he he did he did like a list of damages and the list of damages he done is very long like mm. let's speak about just domestic aspect of it like, right. forget Afghanistan like let's see what he did in, in the United States like yeah. he turned American voters politically homeless right yeah, now right. because you have a situation where they maybe didn't want to vote for Trump right. they voted for him but now they de facto don't want to keep supporting him so I think the Democrats are in for a rude awakening yeah. uh, they do not have a candidate for 2024 right. and I believe that uh, Joe Biden is going to be one term I president. think he will be a one term president because it really was a terrible thing that he did in Afghanistan and when you saw the parents of the Marines talking about how he was a decrepit old, you know, so-and-so, when you saw him looking at his watch at Dover Air Force Base as, as, as the bodies were coming out in the coffins, when you see the way that he operates in front of the cameras, you know, you just think, you know, what are you, what are you thinking? How can you possibly think any of that is good? It's, it's hard to comprehend what he's doing. Mm. You know, the death of 13 Marines was avoidable. Yeah. And, you know, he's now framing conversation like, I wanted to get out right. it was a good decision but no one is talking about that right. don't frame conversation in in, in such way mm. because you're responsible you're commander-in-chief you're yes. responsible t for this operation and you said you don't want to see any american lives uh, lost mm. anymore but you lost 13. right and it was not a war zone even you know so he shut down the uh, bagram air base like why would you do that yeah. why, right. why on earth would you do that right. if you look if you if you're talking about any exit strategy you want to have one, more than one right, right? of course <laughs> so and looking at and looking at the taliban i know it's a temporary government that they now have but it's full of men there are no women in it uh, they've reinstated the minister for i think it's virtue uh, which, which were the people who used to go around beating women if they showed their wrists, uh, used to go around beating men if they cut their beards. You know, this is the same old Taliban. And you have to know that, or you have to believe that it's going to be a problem in the future. It is a problem, and they're not going to change. They said in a first press conference, if you remember, it's like we are believers in the same ideology. Mm. So why would anyone think that they're any different? I mean, they care very much about the optics. And if you uh, read uh, Bin Laden's letters from the past that were declassified, you see that he was the one also obsessing over, you know, amplifying their message, uh, getting this sympathy all around the world. And mm. Taliban is, are following that. If you really look closely, you yeah. know, they want to look as, you know, good guys almost, right. you know, and they're really bad guys, yeah, right? They really are. Uh, so I think Biden really dropped the ball on, on Afghanistan yeah. and he heard the Western lines. In my view, he heard the UK U.S. Uh, special relations, yeah. and I, I heard your prime minister the other day uh, when Andrew Bridgen asked him, you mm. know, is there going to be a defense review about this so-called now special relationship? Yeah. Um, Johnson said, well, this is very important relation. Um, it is a cornerstone of democracy and the history of the um, balance of power. That's all correct, but now only on paper. Yes. Because look what he did. So how you can trust Biden again? I, I wouldn't. No. 
I don't think you can. And he's also made it possible for China to take hold of that whole region now because they're going to go in. They're already in there anyway. They're going to own all the, the lithium mines. They're going to own all the mineral deposits. They're going to be basically uh, able to influence that entire area, right? I'm worried. I'm worried because the the world is less safer than it was a few weeks ago. Yeah. And he could, you know, show some, you know, talent for international grand strategy. Mm. I think your uh, Tony Blair had more talent for uh, this type of thinking at the global level than yeah. Biden does. So Biden proved himself completely incapable of making an international grand strategy yes. decision because you cannot tell your allies uh, okay, you had the option to stay. Wait a minute, like stay. We went with you because America was attacked. We were not attacked, yeah, right? right? So if we went together, we need to get out together. Exactly. So you know all these big words that he has, you know, about friendship, partnership, uh, you know, global alliance, and things like that are just like that letter on a paper. Right. Because in in reality, what is he doing? And that's the other thing, because it's America first, and it's very selfish when it comes to foreign policy he doesn't seem to have a clue can you imagine if Donald Trump had done all of the things that Biden had done? We'd never hear the end of it. He would be trial for treason. Yeah. Like, I have no doubt. Right. I, I, I mean, I was very critical myself of Trump, mm. very critical throughout the four years. And then I see if I was holding Trump account accountable for some things that he did, and now I'm not holding accountable Biden, like, what I'm How doing does, then? Yeah, exactly. In, in the press corps. Like, yeah. what? <laughs> like, yeah, taking and, and notes, now, taking selfies, I mean, I don't care. Yeah, and the other question I suppose I, I can ask you is, is what about Kamala Harris because she's been very quiet in this past period since the Afghanistan debacle uh, and a lot of people wondering whether he's going to last the term and if she's going to end up as president I mean it's possible I, w I would say it's possible mm. but would she be more capable than Biden I, I, don't I, think very, so. I doubt it I she, think that would be a terrible thing she doesn't have any experience in international relations he, no. she doesn't understand the world she had to attend like additional uh, briefings Homework. with Blinken you yeah. know to do you know some you know education on, yes. on that uh, front uh, that would not and be and what a do you make of Blinken because he looks to me like a guy who's not happy with the the, the commander-in-chief I mean, I don't think anyone is happy. Yeah. You can also see on Axelrod, he was the former Obama advisor. Mm. He really went out and he was very vocal about criticizing Biden. No one is happy with Biden, right. but everyone is stuck with Biden. Why? Because Biden was elected the president and the only viable alternative to Donald Trump. Right. So he was elected because he was not Donald Trump. Yes. Not because he right. was Joe Biden. Right. And now we are stuck with him for the next three years. And what he did in the last seven, eight months, imagine project that in the next three, yeah. four years, I, I, I'm worried. <laughs> yeah, I think you should be. And America itself is in a very bad place. I saw a, an incredible video the other day from, from Philadelphia mm. of this part of town. And I know people say, well, every city's got a bad part of town, but this was unbelievable. Everyone in the street seemed to be off their faces on spice or on crystal meth or something, rubbish everywhere, you know, abandoned cars, people sleeping in, in, uh, in like containers. I mean, it's really bad news, isn't it? It is a horrible news because if you live in a big city, you want to feel safe, mm. you know, no matter if um, here a conservative is in charge or a labor is right. in charge, you want to feel safe on your streets. Mm. And uh, for some reason, the Democrats and you can say like, oh, the Republicans are the only one who are saying that. But they're right. Like mm. Democrats, for some reason, are not capable of 
you know, keeping control of, of running their cities. cities. Yeah, that's so right. They're super well spoken. They have all the nice suits. They say all the right things, and they get elected, mm. and they do terrible job. Mm. So I mean, it's it's just so disappointing because Philly always had a problem. It was one of the poorest cities in, yeah. in the United States. So the, this didn't change. But since the, um, uh, George Floyd protest, yeah. I think the situation deteriorated yeah. because they allowed for this to happen because they thought, okay, this is going to take Trump down. Yeah. But then the problem is still, still, there. still like there. Trump is not in the office anymore, but to, are they going to fix the problem? I don't think so. I yeah. don't think they can, right. really. Right. It's terrible. Mm-hmm. Well, Cassini, listen, great to meet you. Uh, hopefully, we'll be able to talk to you some more when you're back over there. Of course. Um, you might yes. have to get up a little bit earlier, unfortunately. <laughs> no problem at all. Always for you, But Mike. it would be I... great. Ksenia, uh, she is, of course, a White House correspondent, Pavlovich. What was the name of the company? Pavlovic Today. Pavlovic Today. Uh, so, uh, Ksenia pavlovic Maketeer, thank you very much indeed thank you very for all much. of that insight. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. I'm not, I'm not looking forward to this because I was hoping Toddy was going to be on my side here. I decided last night, right, yes. to make myself something. The night before I was out, I had oysters, I had caviar, mm-hmm. I had a bottle of champagne, beautiful food in a very Lovely. nice restaurant in Soho. Last night I fancied bangers and mash, right? So I thought I'll just make that because it's quite pleasant. So I had some beans with it and I've made a bit of gravy and put some gravy on it as well. And you should have seen the outrage that came from uh, Twitter. That's a sin. It's a you know capital crime. It's a war crime. What are you thinking? You can't have beans and gravy together. You're a chef. I, you know what? You you can always have whatever you fancy. That's mm. the main thing about eating. Is yes. That you should if 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 you like it and your taste buds enjoy it, then you should have it. Mm. But I'm I, I I do balk slightly at the thought of gravy and but just those foods that you're talking really? about yeah I kind of like it's, gravy you're not and beans a fan of bangers like, and mash really yeah but i'm not a fan of um baked beans unless they're homemade yeah i don't see i don't really eat them a lot the only, the only two things i eat them with and that's sausage and mash and uh, shepherd's pie okay i can see i can see how how why you do that mm. nevertheless it's, it's it's not something that tickles my taste buds no. i think it's because i'm mediterranean these, yes. these flavors don't really i'm, do I'm actually sl- slightly ashamed having to tell you this <laughs> You know, because you think I'm this kind of swell. I did. I thought you were very person. sophisticated in your but in your I, but dining. I am, but I am. But I can occasionally still, you know, fancy like fish and chips. Or no, I fancy, absolutely, you know, I do as well. Uh, yeah. Steak kidney pie or something like yeah. that. You know, because I'm British after all. Oh no, but that type of food yeah. I love. Right. That type of British yeah, proper real, like pies. Yeah. And like, oh my god, it's my favorite. Yeah, it's a real yeah. kind of winter 
fear. Yeah, I is. mean, to be fair, it was probably the wrong night to have it. It was a bit warm. <laughs> Very warm. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, maybe today I'll go home and I'll have some anchovies and tomatoes with some olive oil. Okay, that's and my just, style. That's yeah. more of the sort of thing you would approve of, <laughs> yeah, right? Now, be. let's talk about uh, what's going on, because you've been away in another part of Europe, um, which um, has been difficult to go to for people because they've had a little quarantine. Yeah. So what was it like in Italy? Well, it was lovely, actually, because they just lifted this five-day... You had to quarantine for five days once you arrived in mm. Italy thing. Um, so we went there, and, I mean, Puglia is absolutely... We were stayed in Ostuni. It's absolutely beautiful. They are crying out for tourists. Really? Um, I got up myself a, a little guide because I was really interested in, in the olive groves and the history yes. of, of olives I love there. their wine as well, the Puglia wine. Fantastic wine. But with the olives, because the Greeks, obviously, please, yes. brought the olives. There's a bit of olive rivalry yeah. going on No, here. no, but the Greeks brought the olives to to Italy. Right. And they, especially um, that Brindisi, that side of Italy, they brought, and I went to visit an olive grove that had 2,000-year-old olives wow. uh, trees there, mm. which were planted in the Roman way, which mm. is 40 feet apart. Mm. So they last forever, so they never crowd each other. Whereas today's olive planting, when they plant trees and stuff, they plant them very close together because they want a faster yield. Right. They're not thinking about them living for 2,000 no. years. So, which is That tells I, you I a lot about civilization and it, how it hasn't actually evolved at all. No. It's it, gone backwards. It has gone backwards. But, um, yeah, I mean, it was really... I mean, it was. It had a lovely, buzzy atmosphere, but it was mainly locals, mm. you know, local Italians coming there. There wasn't many tourists there. The guy that uh, told us that he had... He was, you know you know, four-fifths down on his mm. business and just scrabbling to keep him his head above water and having to do other jobs in order to get some money. Right. So, yeah, it's it's the same in all tourist areas. You know, they're desperate for tourism, but right. but, but this world has decided to obliterate tourism and well, travel. Well, isn't it like ridiculous? That. And what about, sort of, were people walking around quite happily, masks, non-masks? No, mainly, mainly no masks. Okay. Um, you had to wear a mask to get into a shop. That's the law. Most people wore it as a chin strap, just around their chin, mm. you know, not over their nose. So, it's, yeah. again, it's this kind of, like, we don't want to get fined by the government. Because I've so. always imagined Italy, particularly, and, and maybe not so much Spain, but but you've obviously talk, told us your stories about Cyprus. I've mm. always assumed that people in Italy and in France just didn't care about uh, rules and, you know, didn't bother, you know, paying taxes if they were asked didn't really care about what the politicians did because they're in and out of office all the time. But I've been quite surprised that that's fining. not the case. Yeah. It's the fining yeah. of the businesses that they've already on their knees financially. Mm. And so to have fines on top, they yeah. can't cope. Right. That's what's that's what's made people do as they're mm. told. I think that's what made most people here do do as they're told. Mm. You know, it's it's the thought of I'm, I'm already struggling to make ends meet and yeah. then I'm going to have this fine. Yeah. Um, and that's why they're doing it. Mm. But talking about fining and money, I mean, Mike, what's going on? Mm. What, what is going on at the moment with this? With this tax, I don't, I don't get it. Well, I, it's, I, it's just a tax. It's as simple as that, isn't it? It's just why? more. They want more money. How can, how can it be that we've got a prime minister who claims to be a libertarian, who claims to be a conservative, who is now taxing us more than Harold Wilson taxed us, more than Gordon Brown taxed us? But if they want to save money, because I put a little tweet out on it earlier, and um, the brilliant uh, Dr. Damien Wilde came up with a really fantastic list he mm. added to my list and uh, one of the things that they could do because they've spent such stupid amounts of money on yeah. and this is what it is it's not for us to help the NHS the mm. NHS is a failing system it is. that has lots of fat bodies sitting at the top yeah. raking in what, what was the 270,000 a year there's 42 jobs currently available uh, which are being recruited right now and the highest paid is about 270, so, average 223,000. And what are they doing? Well, they're involved in some kind of care programme 
But nobody really knows what that even means. I know for a fact, I, I'm not going to say which trust it, it is, mm. but I, I know someone that works in the offices of this particular trust, not right. far from here, um, who who told me that the NHS, that, that their trust got, got their uh, debt taken away mm. during COVID and that they got given just under £2 million for COVID response. Mm. And she said that all the middle people and all the kind of people in the offices there all got themselves new iPads and new did. phones yeah. and new laptops. And that's what happened to the money that yes. was supposed to be spent on COVID. So these people could not be trusted no. with our money. No. And these jobs at these, I mean, do you know what? I will go in and take one of those jobs mm. to reorganise a hospital. I'll do it for uh, uh, I don't know I'll do it for you, the hundred thousand I'd do it for less than that I'd do it for love I'd go in and I'd do it for love to show that it could be fixed because it's ridiculous well I and mean you've run businesses anyone who's run a business knows that you know one of the things I find astonishing about the NHS is for example they are the biggest uh, um, purchaser of medicine in this yeah. country and yet and rather rather than actually getting it at bargain basement prices they pay over the odds for it exactly. how does that work because there's, there's corruption within yeah. there is Just corruption ridiculous. within but I've got to read this list because it's brilliant yeah, so the money that they spent on track and trace that ridiculous track and trace wasn't that one Point something billion. So, yeah, what, what did it lovely was, Dido get? Yeah, it for was. That? It was. It was more than that. I think yeah. it was billions. It was billions. Yeah. So, 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 and didn't she get a damehood for that? Uh, I don't know if she. I think she might have already had it. Oh, maybe. I think she might okay, have already had whatever. It. I would have had it taken away. Yeah. I would have taken it away from her. Waste mm. it. So, get rid of track and trace. Testing healthy people. The money that they spend on S, uh, Spy B, yeah. that's a, a fortune. Uh, COVID advertising, which we know they've yeah. already spent 320 million, they're estimated right. to spend another 300 million on mm. that. Um, all these COVID marshals that they keep recruiting. Yeah. So that's another one. Vaccinating children, that will save you a lot of money yeah. if you don't do that and right. put that into the NHS. Mm. And um, subsidising um, the the bars in the commons, which I thought that was fantastic. <laughs> don't subsidise their bars anymore. Yes. And also um, the kind of over-generous expenses that all these MPs get. Mm. So these are this is one these way... These MPs, by the way, who have claimed hardly anything less than what they've claimed before the pandemic. So during the year of last year... When we went nowhere. Where nobody was supposed to go anywhere. No. Their expenses were barely any different. So... It, it, it's, you know. it is it is it's compromised it's corrupt it's wrong it shouldn't be down to the people mm. to be fixing the nhs this if they had the money for all this stuff and the prime one is the track and trace mm. isn't it all those billions yes. if they had that why why aren't they doing and, all, and please for me the big one is furlough yes you paid all these people i think you bribed them not to rebel well, all the that's testing, the way i look at furlough. All, the, all the testing as well though look at for example um, the number of tests that have been done. I mean, in the millions and millions and millions. I mean, yeah. more more tests have been done than there are people in this country, right? Yeah. Because some people have been testing themselves two or three times a week. Yeah. Um, they're paying for all that. Yeah. Because you can get a free test. Yeah. But that's absolutely. not free. And all the ones they made children yeah. shove up their nose. Right. Not necessarily at all. Yeah. But that's at all. A, but that's all money. That's our money that they've had to spend to buy these tests in. Circo. You know, that company yeah. that, that runs the, uh, uh, the many different things has now just got another £50 billion contract to do something else to do with COVID. I mean, the list goes on and on. So, But instead of instead of them having to stand up and answer to spending all that money, they just want to tax us more and saying it's to save the NHS. Yeah, oh, well, we told you it's to save the NHS. I mean, it really is quite insidious in my view. It, it really is. And the NHS has been failing for so many, many years. Mm. Every successive prime minister comes in and says, I'm going to fix the NHS, yeah. and none of them ever do. No. But the thing is, is you need to take all the cream off the top. They mm. need to go. They well, just I've need just to go. Well, I've just found this uh, piece that I was looking for earlier. The jobs uh, we were talking about, 42 new chief executives to manage integrated care boards. 
What does that mean? I don't know what that is. But you get a quarter of a million for that. But you get a quarter of a million quid. Yeah. Unbelievable. To manage it. And you can believe if and they've how... got a chief executive, they will also have a deputy chief executive. Yeah. They'll have a board. They'll have 55 people who are probably on about 150,000. I mean, this is where the money goes. And yet our nurses who work so hard mm. are not getting paid a decent fee. So, no. I mean, a decent wage. So it, it is completely, completely wrong. Mm. And one of the other really bugbears for me, the big one for me, is the fact that nothing is done to help us look after ourselves, to have preventative healthcare in the UK yes. we, they don't do any of that and one of the things that we they, we could have done during COVID we could have taken during this time to really educate people on how to eat and how to drink so it's uh, the latest statistic is 63% of all UK adults are overweight mm. 63% that's a huge number that's isn't a it? huge number that makes 35 million people that are overweight or obese and we know that 78% of the confirmed, now this is confirmed, not, you know, within mm. 28 days, rubbish. Yeah. I mean, why did we ever accept within 28 days? I know. Well, I mean, they just fed us that rubbish and we took it. Yeah. I will not accept a death within 28 days. Right. Did you die of COVID or did you have right. a heart attack or did you well, die of something else? It's for the same reason that you wouldn't accept necessarily that uh, it's okay when you sit down at a restaurant because you won't get COVID, but you might get it when you stand up so you better put a mask on. Yeah. Right. Oh, God. Oh, that and kind you're going, of, that, really? That, <laughs> that, that kind of stuff drives me completely. I mean, and that's one of the stuff with the masks as well, that you just don't want to... I, I just, I cannot possibly ever wear a mask mm. again because it goes against my common sense. So whenever I, you know, I, you d now don't have to say anything, but if anybody asks me, I'll say, I am exempt. And I have exempted myself because mentally, yeah. my my mental state will not allow me to cover my airways no. for something that I know is completely rubbish. Especially it, in this weather. Especially in this weather. I mean, it, it's ridiculous it's suffocating but the main thing is is that they could have taken this time instead of shutting down pools and gyms and yoga and yeah. pilates places and playgrounds yeah and you know and, and swimming pools is the main one because yeah. the chlorine just gets rid of right. any form of covid at all right they shut all of those things down made you stay at home mm. made you eat yeah takeaway they didn't make you eat takeaway i mean we didn't eat takeaway at home but, but most there is people, an awful lot more availability of that kind of thing it, though absolutely and and now they're trying to get us to pay for because obesity is mm. is what is causing the biggest problems in the nhs mm. so instead of focusing all these other things and looking for what was the what was the title of that job uh, integrated care boards so so instead of paying the money to integrated care boards mm. they need to be paying to people that can find ways of educating our give public. a skateboard instead but the main thing is is most people have so much disinformation yeah. when it comes to their nutrition and yeah. that's where you know it really is bad but you know what worries me about this slightly and i take your point and you're absolutely right to say what you're saying however I don't really want my government to start not only interfering in what I can do and where I can go, but what I'm supposed to eat and what I'm supposed to drink I, I agree, as well. You I know, agree. And I, I wouldn't want to give them that power, if you know what I mean. No, no, I don't think it should be a power that's given, but it should be something that's offered. Why isn't there free gym memberships? Why isn't there free trainers? Mm. Why isn't there free cooking classes everywhere? Well, because they wouldn't be free, would they? Because we'd be paying for that, wouldn't we? Yes, but I think that is a preventative way. So you're more likely, if you teach someone how to cook and, mm. and, and show them how to train in a yeah. gym properly and give them free gym membership, yeah. then you're not going to have to fill up hospital wards sure. with people that who are later getting sick. And we know that, you know, I, I, I can't, oh, can I please just say this? But I am not fat shaming anyone. I'm not fat shaming. I'm just telling you the facts of mm. health. If you carry weight, you are more likely to have some mm. other health issues. And so this is just a preventative way yeah. of doing it. Right. And it's really important that we can 
at least have the knowledge to look after mm. ourselves. I mean, for a long time now, we were told that, you know, fat was a terrible thing. Eating fat was really bad. But we know that that's not really the case. Mm. Good fats like fish fats and, and animal fats and, and, and things like that, they're not really bad for yeah. us. Sugar is is the enemy. Sugar and, and carbohydrates the, as well? Carbohydrate. Well, that's sugar is, comes under that yeah. kind of thing. Okay. like kind of refined carbohydrates and sugar are the ones that really do a lot of damage. Mm. But there was a whole kind of campaign to, to make sugar look good. Remember during those days when, when I was younger, everything was fat-free? Yeah. Do you remember the hip and thigh diet? Yeah, yeah. Everything was fat-free at right. the time. Well, actually, that was the most damaging thing. We uh. should have been given the right information. Mm. But because of governments getting money from this company and from that company, it is corrupt. Mm. And people say, it's all right for me. I, am on, I like to eat well. You know I like yeah. to eat well. I mean, I like wine and I like good food. But then on, on my other days, tonight I will be having, I don't know, poached salmon and broccoli for dinner yeah. because I've had a whole right. <laughs> indulgent few days. Sure. So and that's it's the about, sensible it's a, way to do it, it's isn't it? It's a lifestyle and it's mm. about teaching people how to have a lifestyle. It's not about making things good and bad mm. or telling people things, yeah. but just letting them know that it's a lifestyle choice. And if you do this, you'll get this benefit. And if you do that, you'll you'll get this. Yeah. But none of that is ever said to anyone. In right. schools And I think as well, I mean, and I would be just as guilty of this as anyone because anyone watching me on the television will see that I'm not exactly sylph-like, you know. Um, and you've got to give things up sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, you know, you to, you sometimes have you have to go, well, do you know what? And I know uh, Tom Watson, who's not my favourite person in the world, but he lost an awful lot of weight because he just completely changed his lifestyle. He said, I did stop with the takeaway curries. I stopped with drinking beer. You know, I tried to start eating a bit more healthily. And it was amazing how he transformed his body into something which is now actually looking very slim and you can do it but you but it, it's not easy to do it it's not easy it's not easy to start it right but you know abstinence has its pleasures mm. so um you know if you if you are given um if you haven't eaten chocolate cake for a whole week or a month or mm. two or whatever and you have a chocolate cake i tell you that chocolate cake will taste Tastes amazing very good, yes. but if you're eating chocolate cake twice a day it's just a kind of it's you're not getting the same endorphin rush you're not getting the same benefit so mm. a little bit of abstinence actually makes your pleasure greater yes so it's just about teaching people that yeah. and that's the thing that really gets to me no one in our government cares about our health mm. or the health of the nation yeah they just want to I mean, throw I more when money Boris at Johnson, drugs do you remember when Boris Johnson came out of hospital though and one of his kind of mantras at the time and he kind of started on it but then sort of fell away didn't really carry it through because also people didn't really want to hear it from him. But he was saying that, you know, one of his problems, one of the reasons he ended up nearly dying from COVID was that he was overweight. Yeah. Um, and he sort of pledged to try and get everybody to lose a bit of weight. But I think there is a, a slight problem, as I say, because people don't want the government to say stuff like that. I don't think anyway. I, I don't think it's just that. Mm. I do think that there is no money in people doing preventative health. Yeah. Like you said, the NHS is, is has become almost a shop front for big pharma. Mm. And because they pay premium prices yeah. for these drugs that other people pay sometimes half it makes the price no, for. Makes, but I wonder if it's not necessarily that they're corrupt, it's just that they're not very good. You know, because you think about the NHS being run as a private organisation, you'd get rid of half the people in it. You know, if you were actually streamlining it and Absolutely. going, this has to be run like a commercial enterprise, we don't need uh, however many, 45 of these, pri you know, um, primary care managers, whatever the hell they are. You know, there's lots of wastage. That I, I know people who work as nurses and doctors. They say you can walk into any hospital, you can open the door, a cupboard, and there's a cupboard full of stuff that got bought a year ago, um, which is now no good because it's out of date. And they never wanted it in the first place. Because there's no one that has to, to answer to no. that, do they? So no one answers it. And it's very difficult to, to sack within mm. the state um, yeah. companies. So what should we do? What are we going to do? I, I would like to start a thing of vote of no confidence in the government. Because okay. I don't want to pay... 
recipes. I want them to rejiggle the money that they're spending well, I think on all these COVID yeah. things. This 300 million, mm. firstly, that's the first thing I want yeah. stopped. The next 300 million that they've got um, earmarked yes. to go into COVID fear propaganda adverts, right. newspapers, radios, mm. TV, everything. I don't, I, that mustn't happen. I want that to go into. Well, I think what they need wages. to do is they need to be more specific about where the money is actually going, right? Yeah. So if we had a decent um, opposition, if we had somebody who actually asked the right questions instead oh. of just going, oh, you should have done that earlier, or oh, you're the one that made the NHS uh, fail lockdown in the harder. first place. Lockdown, lockdown harder, lockdown harder. More. I'm, I'll vote for vaccine passports. Don't you worry about that. Keir Starmer should be saying to Boris Johnson, Where's this money going? Yeah. Exactly where is it going? I want to see results. I want to see it tracked. I want to see why you've suddenly got a better hospital uh, delivery system in Lancashire than you have in Surrey because you put 10 million into the hospital and now they've got more doctors. That's what I want to see. Yeah. It's not difficult, is it? Not at all. It really isn't, Mike. But why are we the only ones with common sense? Because this is the home of common sense. Yeah, it is. But it's the world headquarters <laughs> of common sense. But, but, but listen, there's plenty of people out there listening to this. And there so, is lots of people, but the frustration mm. is so wearing. I mean, I kind of, I, I did my best while I was away. It's my wedding anniversary. I was yes. married for 25 years. That's a brilliant uh, milestone, isn't um, it? What it do you lovely. get What do you get for that? Is that uh, silver? I, I don't, didn't get, I got a nice, I got a little break in Puglia. That was Very what nice. I got, That'll which has made me happy. Yes. But um, I really did my best not to engage with the news while I was away. Mm. because. And I, that's also good for you. I needed it. And I think a lot of people are in the same situation as me. I got back to the UK yesterday and I woke up again with that, that, that stomachache feeling, mm. that, 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 that feeling that um, it, it almost feels like um, you're mourning someone. Mm. I feel like someone's died. Yeah. The fear in that feeling and the pain in that feeling is that someone's died because mm. I feel out of control, that I feel I don't have any control mm. in my life, that the state wants to take over everything. I mean, we know they want to take over whether children over 12 can take medication which is is unprecedented and unheard of and, and very very wrong mm. you know because if they can do that for this medication what's the next thing they're going to say That's it's all right thing. for your 12 you yeah. know, to agree to i'm a parent don't you dare mm. take away my rights as a parent i i you know bought in i do everything for my children yeah. and it's my responsibility and my choice is. what do they do yeah. until they are adults. and it's wrong for them to hint as some of them have done um because this is crazy Oh, well, you know, if they've got all the right information, there's no reason why 12-year-olds can't make a decision. Well, one, the right information isn't available, so no. they can't have all the right information no. because you can't tell me what the effects of this vaccine will be in 10 years' time because exactly. you haven't had it for 10 years. Exactly. So you can get lost with that one. But the idea that they're trying to sort of encourage children... I had a text this morning from someone who said that um, in their children's school they were asking children uh, to separate out depending on whether they wanted to get consent from their parents or not. Already? On, on one side, yeah, like as a sort of an exercise, you know, on one side of the hall over there, the other side over there. The biggest thing wrong with Britain at the moment is the breakdown of the family unit, okay? Mm. And that is a fact. And yeah. I don't care all the kind of wokeism and whatever who say I'm wrong. That is the thing mm. that you can you can see the breaking down of the family unit and you can see how it's breaking down mm. broken society. So by getting parents and children to have this, because it's very hard when you're a teenager, 12, 13, 14, yeah. these years, everything's in turmoil. You don't often like your parents that much, right. whatever. And, um, you know, peer pressure is huge. Sure. It's huge during this period of time when your hormones are all over the mm. place. To, to cause friction within the family between parents and children over this mm. is it's disgusting. It's immoral, isn't it? It's absolutely immoral. Mm. And the government are wanting to do this. I can't see how we can 
have these people telling us how to behave anymore. They no. are not fit to lead. No. They are not fit to be the leaders that we, I thought I was voting in certain leaders mm. because of the principles that they had. Yeah. They are showing none of those principles. No. They've gone completely away from their manifesto anyway. So they shouldn't be there anymore. No. I would like there to be a vote, but who would we vote for? Well, that's the problem. This we is the problem. Who would we vote for? Maybe we'll just have to storm the place. Well, I'm up for it, Mike. People's revolution. Uh, you know what? I've become like, like that. that. Isn't it? Yeah. I've become like that. I, I mean, I'm such a not that person. Know. You know, I'm just not that person. But this, these 18 months have completely mm. changed my personality, and I've said it many times. I've lost my innocence. Yeah. In the sense that I really believe that the people that were voted in, that were running the countries of the world, not just ours, were people that wanted to do good. Mm. And I now see that they are not those people. No. They are not people that want to do good at all. It's quite sad. Quite sad, isn't it? It is, because once you lose your innocence in that way, then you, you question everything. I don't believe a single word that comes out of any politician's mm. mouth now. How because they lie all yeah. the time. How can you? And it, in previously, kind of previous decades, if, if you're a politician and you lied, were you not then sacked? Well, you normally resigned if you got caught. But they've been, these guys, it's like just accepted. Now they don't even, now they don't even recognise that they've told a lie. They don't even care. That's even though we've got them on film, yeah. we've got them they don't care. saying it, you know, mm. nothing. There is no kind of reprimand. So they just do as they please. It's got to stop, Mike. Yeah. And, and this, this home of common sense, yeah. I think, is the place that we need to start the revolution okay. to make it stop. Let's do it. I'd like you on the barricades with me. And we'll find out a way. We will get there, I promise you, because I am about as angry as I can get about this really and Tonya's made me actually more angry so this time you've had I've had the opposite effect yeah. on myself <laughs> yeah. I've kiboshed myself uh, Tonya great to see you thank you very much indeed The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio Right now a bit of a surprise because we're going to a surprise guest he's not a surprise but uh, where he is is a surprise Kevin O'Sullivan Talk Radio's presenter for the 7 o'clock show uh, is out and about somewhere Kevin where are you? Uh, we're in Smith Square, Mike, outside DEFRA, the Department uh, for Agriculture, uh, and we are staging a protest against the death of Geronimo. I've joined a protest crowd. I will be addressing them uh, soon after one o'clock uh, with a moving speech in support of that alpaca who we believe did not need to die. And what are you going to say to these people? Because I like you can't bring him back from the dead, can you? Well, no, but uh, we believe that his death was railroaded through. Uh, he, a lot has been made of the fact, oh, we have bovine TV. Well, that is a bone of contention. Uh, he actually tested negative once and positive twice. All the owner was asking from DEFRA and the DEFRA Secretary of State, George Eustace, was one more test. But the rules, computer said no. Uh, so he wouldn't give them an, uh, him another test and he had to die. And then we saw those disgraceful scenes last week at Helen McDonald's Gloucestershire farm uh, where that poor little screaming animal uh, screaming and terrified for its life was dragged off by really? ludicrous people. Yes, it was. It was squealing uh, in terror dragged off by ludicrous people dressed in hazmat suits. Mm. Uh, it was bizarre, it was terrible looking and I know for a fact the Prime Minister was less than pleased with the optics of it. Well I can't imagine that Carrie was too too fond of that idea because she's quite one for the Animal Rights Brigade but, but I mean what do you, what's, what's the point of the protest though? What are they, what are they asking for? Well, to, to uh, try to persuade DEFRA to uh, move away from its uh, uh, death as first resort rather than last resort. Uh, it's, it has ever since 2001 when they uh, killed two, uh, six, uh, six and a half million 
cattle, pigs and sheep uh, on a false uh, foot and mouth scale, which uh, proved to be unnecessary. And they built these huge bonfires of flesh burning into the sky. Uh, this, this ministry has sort of become the ministry for murder. It's always killing animals. And uh, we maintain it doesn't need to do this. It's killed 200,000 badgers since uh, 2013 at a cost of 100,000 pounds, uh, 100 million pounds rather. And uh, it has been proved not to have done anything in the reduction of bovine TV in cattle. So it is this policy of always killing animals uh, and asking questions later. And uh, Geronimo has become a symbol for that. We don't believe Geronimo had to die and yet they killed him. And is there a stage? Are you going to be like up there, like, uh, you know, sort of Jeremy Corbyn style, waving your face, shaking your fists? Yeah, I've worked out a few phrases I'm going to use. Uh, this phrase, <laughs> the speech is going to begin with, uh, I have a dream. Uh, it's also <laughs> going to in- include, uh, uh, ask not what your country may do for you. Yeah. But you know, it's going to be a very move. No, I'm going to be, be on some steps addressing uh, the crowd. No surrender is a good one as well. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I've just plagiarised a load of great speeches <laughs> for the Gettysburg Address. No, but Seriously, I'm going to address right. uh, the There's not much of a there, crowd there, though, is there? I don't see many uh, people. It's building, mate. It's building. It? There's, there's sort of hundreds here now. Uh, uh, we're hoping for thousands. Any representation from the animal kingdom? Uh, well, no. Uh, oh, actually, there's a dog turning up there. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, listen, solidarity, brother. And uh, good luck to you, man in your new career right, as a rabble-rousing um, speechmaker at uh, animal rights protests. Good old Kev. Uh, he's never stops working, this man. He's the hardest-working man. He's actually not the hardest-working man in showbiz, but he's not far off it. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.